Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. We have a great show today. We're going to be talking a little bit with an expert on why grief won't heal. We want to talk a little bit about normal grief, when it won't heal, when it's complicated, and kind of give you a feel. If you don't feel like you're on the right track, hopefully you'll be able to find some answers on this show. So, uh, Heidi, would you like to introduce our guest? Sure, I'd love to. Our guest today is Dr. Phyllis Hosninski and she is a clinical social worker in private practice and at the Center for Hope in Darien, Connecticut, where her work focuses on grief, loss, and trauma. She is the author of Getting Back to Life When Grief Won't Heal, in which she discusses challenges that often accompany the loss of a loved one, as well as resources for moving through complicated grief. Welcome to our show, Phyllis. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on the show today. How did you get into the field of grief and loss and trauma? That's an interesting question. You know, it's my impression, and maybe it's yours as well, that a lot of us who work in this field got into it because of an experience that we had something that really was formative in our lives. And for me, that was my mother's death um, when I was nine. And for many years in my professional work, I studiously avoided working with people who had lost a parent, who had had an early loss as a child. But that is initially, I think, what drew me to it. And so when an opportunity arose, when someone called and said, you know, there's a a job opening at the Center for Hope, do you think you might want to go over there and talk to them? I did, and I've been there ever since. Ah, fantastic. Well, if I'm listening to this show today, and I've heard people talking about complicated grief, And, uh, you know, I'm wondering, you know, if I'm grieving right, how do I know? What if I've had the loss of a close family member, say, in the last year? Um, Is it complicated grief to still be upset? Well, certainly not. You know, I think that, first of all, you know, we need to understand that grief takes a lot longer to heal than People in our culture, people, uh, you know, our friends, our family, especially people who haven't had a significant loss, Gloria, often expect that we're going to get better more quickly than we are. And, you know, and it's their credit. They want us to get better. They want us to be okay. Um, You know, it's not that they're bad people and they just want us to get over it. It hurts the people who we love to see us suffering. And so they encourage us. They might say things like, you know, your mother would want you to, you know, get back to life, or your your husband would want you to start dating again, you know, whatever it is. But what this does is it really diminishes uh, and, and, and really kind of devalues the power of, of grief. Because if you think about how large a part someone who you love plays in your life, how are you supposed to adjust to the loss of that person within a year? How is that supposed to happen? It just isn't, it's not realistic, it's not reasonable, and certainly in some cases, people have an easier time than others. I was at a Shiva call, I don't know if you're familiar with Shiva, it's the Mm -hmm. Jewish tradition, you know, and after the funeral you go to somebody's house and you you sit with them, and I went to a Shiva call for a friend of mine whose father died at the age of 93. This was not a tremendously traumatic death for the people there, and I suspect that Within a year, they'll still miss him, but they know that he lived a long, full life, and they'll, you know, I think they're going to, you know, do okay in terms of getting past that. But for 
other kinds of losses, it takes a lot longer. For someone who's lost, uh, you know, a child, it takes a lot longer. For someone who's lost a spouse, it takes a lot longer. And for some people, just the nature of the relationship and the degree to which that person really filled their life and, and their heart, a, a year is not really much time. Yeah, I was thinking if you've been taking care of a, an elderly parent or whatever and they go, you sometimes can lose, you know, what you were doing with your life, and, and it makes a lot of changes. Well, that's so true. It's not just that you've lost the person, but that may be the most important job that you ever did in your life, and suddenly you don't have that job. And I hear people all the time, and I'm sure you do too, saying, you know, at the end of the day, I, I could go out for a drink with people at work, but I feel like I have to get home. Right. You know, and I really want to emphasize that those kinds of feelings, feelings like I have to get home, and then you slap yourself in the head and you say, no, I don't, or you go to the supermarket and you think I'm going to pick up some of those oranges for dad, and then you realize, no, I'm not. You know, those things are completely normal, those kinds of reactions because we just get so acclimated to taking care of a person. Well, I know I have, you know, I got home from the funeral, and the first thing I wanted to do was call my mother, but, mm-hmm. well, but it was her funeral. Mm-hmm. So, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, our minds struggle to deal with the reality that somebody we love has died, and that struggle, not to mention the pain of missing the person, but the struggle of just even believing it takes us a, a, a long time. People, you know, will say to me a lot, oh, I'm really not dealing with this well. But what I say to people is, if you are sitting here in my office and having this conversation, and you got up out of bed this morning, and you took a shower, and you washed your hair, and you got dressed in clean clothes, and you had some breakfast, and after this you're going to work, you're doing okay. I was thinking of uh, you're sitting Shiva, because Heidi just went to that where a child was. and Very different, right, Heidi? Yeah. What, you mean sitting, the, the Shiva? Yeah, just just yeah. the difference in having an elderly person versus a child. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I live in New York City, and I've been to many Shivas here, and I, I love the ritual of it. Um, yes. I think it's a beautiful thing, and having everybody come together for, you know, a yeah. period of seven days. But, but yes, I went to a, a friend of mine's son got run over by a taxi cab here in New York in 2009, oh. and uh, oh. it was really tragic. And, you know, of course... That experience, people are just wailing, basically. Oh, wrenching. Because nobody can even wrap their arms around it. Not only is it, are we wailing for the families, we're wailing for the fact that it could even even happen to a child here, right here in New York City. It's, you know, we're we're walking these streets every day with our own children, so it's, you're just, it was just heartbreaking. But the rituals itself are set up by the Jewish faith are so fabulous. People know what they need to do, you know. Where to go? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, but, uh, you know, it's only, it's really only in the course of doing this work that I've come to appreciate just how, how good those rituals are in terms of providing support for people, but also in terms of, you know, the, the wisdom of placing certain limits, you know, in the Jewish faith. You're not supposed to grieve forever, and particularly if you're a parent and you, lose, uh, you know, you lose someone, the idea is that, you know, you need to, at some point, come back to life so that you can take care of your children. You know, so there's room for grief, and then there's also the idea that, you know, you, at some point you come back and... You know, Could, it can be a, a pretty uh, long journey, though, for a lot of us. But I wanted oh, to, to, oh, to oh, ask oh, you this yeah. question. What 
do you say to somebody who says, uh, will I ever be happy again when they come in? And and they don't believe that they'll yeah. ever be happy again. Yeah. I And, you know, and, and of course, people do. And, you know, I'm working with a woman now who's, whose young son, uh, it's an accidental death, very sudden, and she's been in that place for a while. And, you know, for, for quite a while when I sit with somebody, I don't try to push people to be okay. Do you know what I mean? Because you can't. You can't push somebody to be okay. And when I was sitting with her last week, I said, you know, I don't think it's realistic to think that you're going to be happy again, maybe in the way that you were happy before. I think that you are always going to live in two worlds, the the world of your, of you know, of grief and the world that in some sense is inhabited by your son, because you don't want to leave that world entirely, because to leave that world means to leave your son. So you're always going to spend some time in that world, but I think that what can happen is that over time you can also spend time in the other world as well. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like a dual process. It's a dual process model. But I think the other yeah. thing, Phyllis, is what I found in my own situation with my brother, now that it's been 30 yeah. years, that when yeah. I spend time in the world of, with him, it's more of a celebration of his life yes. and of the yeah. way he died. And early but on, doesn't that was, happen over time? I mean, I exactly. think that happens it more over, over time. time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, at the beginning, whenever I would think of Scott, it was with great pain, exactly, and with great joy. That's what's changed. Exactly, exactly, and that's kind of another, really, a kind of another nuance that, yeah, you spend time in those worlds, and the world of loss itself goes through a change. So, I guess the simple answer to your question, Gloria, is I don't tell people that they're going to be happy again, but I do tell people that they are going to have periods. Of, of happiness, and that some of the things that gave them pleasure before, they're still the same person. They still have those same receptors for pleasure. And in my experience, people who had capacity to be happy before and things that they enjoyed before, eventually they start to enjoy those things again. You, you know, that's a, good, that's a good point because one of the things that I, I do think you have to realize, uh, if you were not a happy person before you had a death in your family, you're not suddenly going to come and be a smiley, happy person after. You may have been working on it at that time, and you may continue to work on it on it now. So you do have to look at some of the past history. But one of the things, uh, Phyllis, we did a webinar for Compassionate Friends last night, which is on their website. It'll probably be on today if people oh, want to listen to it. Oh, take a look at it. That's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we did a webinar on anger, and uh, two of the people that came onto our site said, I cannot afford professional therapy. And I know both of you and Heidi huh. are in private practice, but I would like you to maybe, uh, maybe both of you can give some tips to people who are grieving who cannot afford to come into professional therapy. And people yeah. think that I can't afford it. If I could afford it, you know, it would change my life. And not to say that people don't make life changes, but, but I think that people aren't as deprived as they think they are. There are other resources out there, too. <laughs> that's, that's a very humble and I think very accurate assessment of what we can and, and can't do for people. 
you know, who are grieving. Heidi, did you want to say something about that, about what your mother was just asking? I guess the thing that I find, and, and like you said, it can be done by many people, what my clients take away oftentimes, and I'm sure yours do too, Phyllis, is that I normalize a lot of what they're going through. And I yes. say, you know, I've worked with other, a, a lot of other clients. Obviously, if I see something that's a red flag, I tell them. Yep. I can, also, yep. I can yep. also guide them and say, well, what you're describing to me is a normal experience. Wait a minute. I want you two to give me three red flags if I need to oh, get more help. Okay. What are three? Um, okay. I go to the cemetery every day and I sit there, uh, you know, for a couple of hours and it's very hard for me to leave. Okay. Good. One. Heidi, have you got one? Well, if somebody's wanting to take their life and if they have a plan and access to a plan. I mean, it's one thing to say, I wish I wasn't going to be here. The pain is that great, but I don't want to kill myself. So just making sure sure you get in desperate situations that people are safe and that they're not in a place where they want to harm themselves. Okay, Phyllis, what's another red flag for you? Well, I have, you know, another red flag for me is when people start to isolate themselves. Mm -hmm. They they don't want to go out. They don't want to leave the house. Um, They start cutting off from friends and family because they feel like nobody understands and their life just becomes more and more lonely and they don't have the resources that they need. I mean, I really I really do believe that we're not meant to, to grieve alone. And when people start to isolate, I worry. Uh, I worry about them. We just, we just had a show where somebody said we should all have stickers that say, warning, do not grieve alone. <laughs> <laughs> Our grief is not wow. meant. That, grief work is not meant is to be done beautiful. alone. <laughs> she said beautiful. we should all and we should all have stickers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I I don't know about you guys, but you know, if people need to communicate with me in between sessions, if they want to send me an email, if they want to send me a text, I'm okay with that. And particularly with a couple of people who. You know, regularly cancel their appointment. I had somebody just last night. She, I'm not sure if I can make it in because I haven't left the house in three days. Well, you know, you need to come in. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Exactly. I know you don't want to leave the house. I know you don't really want to talk to anybody. I know that you think that nothing I say is going to matter, but I want you to come in. Some, you know, I, I think as I've gotten older and done this more, I've become more pushy with people. Where I'll say, "Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but but I want I want you to come in." Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna review our red flags real quick. Uh, one is if you're okay, like sure. going going to the cemetery and you want to stay and you don't want to leave or any activity. I w- would assume that where you are really okay. getting stuck oh. in your grief and don't want to reach out. Mom, let me say something about that. It, because it, anything that greatly impairs your everyday function. Exactly. Yeah, you can't exactly. really literally can't function. Let's talk about, you know, the normal things in the first year. You're going to have sleep disruptions, food disruptions. You may cry a lot, waves of grief, you know, think you're crazy. Right, right, right. Right. And you're also going to have moments. I mean, there are just going to be times where you're just kind of rocking along and you're just fine. And it could be in the supermarket. It could be when you're out to dinner. It could be, when, you know, anywhere, anytime. All of a sudden it just hits you. And, and it can hit you hard. And... You need to to know that that's part of it, too. Just because you're not thinking about it and just because it's not a special day, those thoughts and those feelings are in your body, and they're there all the time. And they pop up 
in reaction to things that you might not even be aware of. Like it might be the time of year. Right, those anniversary reactions, right? Yeah. Yeah, but not even just an anniversary reaction, but maybe even just the temperature or the quality of the light or the way the air smells. You know, it's the beginning of fall and you're starting to get that smell in the air and seeing the leaves change. And suddenly you just get this bolt of pain because you remember how the leaves were changing when your dad went into the hospital. Right. You know, or when your your sister got a diagnosis. I mean, these are the kinds of things that can really, really trigger you. So I would suggest that if you like what you're hearing right now and if you want to read more of it, get Phyllis's book, Getting Back to Life When Grief Won't Heal. Now, do you have a website, Phyllis? I do. It's very straightforward. I think it's www.phyllisskosminski.com. All right. Nothing fancy. So, yeah, you can go to my website and you can see some of the other things that I've written about and talk about and sort of how I approach this. Well, Phyllis, thank you so much for being on the show today and for all the great work you do. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get you down to New York to be on our TV show. Oh, that would be lovely. And let me just say to the two of you, I have the just tremendous respect and admiration for all the good work you do. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Phyllis. Thank you, Phyllis. Thanks for helping people get back to, to their lives after they have had a loss. Oh, you're welcome. Well, Heidi, it's great to know there are people like Phyllis in the world uh, helping, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. I love the work she's doing. Yeah. Wonderful work. And I hope you'll all go to her website and take a look and read some of your articles and get her book because uh, she is very empowering. Heidi and I want to remind you today that we would like you to consider, if you've lost hope, leaning on ours until you find your own. And God bless. God bless.